Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast, hosted by Angel Deer. In this podcast, we explore the mysteries of spirituality and consciousness. In each episode, we dive deep into the realms of human experiences, our rapidly changing world, and the unseen realms, tapping into the universal wisdom that connects us all. Whether you're a seasoned spiritual seeker, starting to awaken to the possibilities of a more expansive reality, or want support on your journey, this podcast is for you. Join me as we explore topics such as shamanism, spiritual transformation, holistic healing, the medicine path, energy healing, plant medicine, ancient wisdom, and more. Our guests are respected elders and experts in their fields, and we'll learn from their insights and experiences as we journey together on the path of spiritual growth. If you can, please consider supporting this podcast by joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Good evening, everyone, and welcome. And welcome, Marita. So glad to be here with you this evening. Um for this connection. Um, we are going to dive into some subjects that I found fascinating. Concept of time, concept of remembering, forgetting, talking about the cycles and the cosmos and those ancient calendars and many more things. I never script, uh, my podcasts or interviews or events because I really want to see where spirit takes us on this journey together. So first, let me uh, introduce you to to Marita, one who catches lightning. I think I'm going to ask you about your name in a little bit of time. (laughs) So their lineage is Zapotec, Sephardin, and their metaphysical and spiritual training includes work with the Lakota, Mayan, Aztec, Apache, and Hopi traditions, working with Mayan calendar, ascended masters, past life regression, clearing and working with energy centers, the chakras, ancestral healing, working with crystals and plant medicines, mediumship, clearing and protection of places and spaces, spiritual contracts, inner child work, and working with oracular card decks. Chosen before birth for the medicine pass, they have been trained ever since and teach various subjects with the permission and at the request of the elders they have apprenticed with throughout their life. Their specialty is weaving these esoteric and mystical tradition and teachings, those on the medicine's path to living in deep and intentional relationships with creation. Does it feel right, Marita? And good evening. <laughs> Thank you. It's interesting to have a part of your life read back to you that has been curated to have a conversation. And so, again, who are we at any point of our existence, if not hopefully our home? Mm. So I come to you as my home in this lifetime in this body, in this mind, in this essence. 
And I hope that today you will all find your home as we have this conversation throughout time, space, and continuum. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah. Thank you for that. And, you know, before we dive in some of the subjects or wisdom that I shared uh, in the introduction, can you tell me a bit more about you and I guess weaving with what you just said, how did you find your home and what does it mean for you? What was this trajectory that brought you here today on this path and working with this tradition? If you can tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so I was chosen before birth and it wasn't a romantic thing, you know, (laughs) with my parents. And this this has happened in many of my lifetimes. Uh, I've been given up to a certain degree. And it really came down to a decision my mother had to make of, of allowing me to come to term because it wasn't happening. And so she was addressed by a medicine person, picked her out of a very large crowd at the time. And she was actually in the process of losing me. And the medicine person said, you know, this prophet oracle, whatever you want to call them, you know, you have a choice you can, this child will either die now or it can be saved if you dedicate it to a medicine path. And so, you know, flip of the coin, you know, (laughs) my mother chose to dedicate me to that. My parents did. And so my death experience was in the womb in this lifetime, very close there. And, And I've had moments of you know, deep ceremony when I've been able to go back and remember that moment of that spirit, that mentor, that being that has been guiding me strongly in my life coming in. And it started then, right? The work started kind of there. That doesn't mean, you know, we still have to choose it. (laughs) And even though I was taught by multiple traditions, and this is the thing, you know, many times you know, when we say teaching, right, I come from a lot of curanderismo, it is teaching that happens out in the open, that many people aren't even aware that you are being taught. So one of the ways that these ways have been be able to be in existence and, and uh, pass through has been by teaching in secret out in the open. And unless you know what to look for, sometimes you don't know that someone is being taught and it's been done that way for generation after generation after generation for preservation. So many of the ways that you were taught at that time, right. And we would look at were very cosas de la casa, things of the home or things of the hearth, right. Things that, you know, happen in kitchens, right. Not, not important things. You know, things that happen in the garden, not important things. Nothing's happening here, you know, because the important things, according to Western society, happen in a schoolroom, right, in a class setting. And so they disregard the people who are, you know, wandering around in in fields or cooking in kitchens. and, And that is how it's been hidden. It's been hidden in the work of of sewing and knitting uh, languages. As you can see, the Mayas have hidden it in their weaving and their pattern. And so part of my path of remembering has been not just remembering, but allowing the world to see my remembrance. And I think that has been the scary part of it based on 
the fear of survival, you know, of being able to be like, if I do truly walk in this way, I live in an environment which, depending on what is Instagrammable in that moment, could accept me or could not just deny me, but my the stakes are higher. So I had to come out of the spiritual closet a few times over and over and over again. And that's something that I still have to do every day. There are days I want to hide and I have to stay with the medicine and stay with who I am. I really appreciate that you share that. You know, I was sharing with a friend the other day that we're talking about witches being burned uh, many centuries ago. And I was saying, you know, I don't think we've stopped. <laughs> I don't think the way, the weird, the magic, the ancient ways have been treated by what we call the modern world as evolved maybe and maybe seems more polite or <laughs> less violent but in fact when we are in the situation that you are talking about when we claim lineages or names when we step into traditions when we work with elders or when we are in contact with those native communities we know that the oppression is still very much alive so i want to connect that to your own coming out of the closet to use your term and your name, the spirit name or the name that was given to you, one who catches lightning. And tell me a bit how that came about. And also I'm guessing many people, you know, here are listening. And I personally, in the same way, took a step in and a step out and to step in and step out. And, you know, there was a long process of shedding of identities, of remembering, <laughs> but that remembering was often made with what I consider quite violent and difficult. Weaved on top of that to the deep, deep desire that is human to, to belong, to be included, right? To, to feel connection with each other for who we are. So mm -hmm. how does this uh, process, you know, work for you? And what were the, I guess, the gems and what helped you on that? And maybe what was the places of terror, I guess, or the places of ray darkness where we thought, well, maybe I'm not going to do that because that's not worth it. And I think it's key in most medicine paths of the people I know. And when we embark on that, those places are there. Well, let's begin with a name. I say a name because we have many names, right? We're known by many names. And the traditions that I come from, there are names that we present to the public and then there's names of course that we hold in smaller circles so the name was given to me by a karuk elder a chief who i had been sitting with with the lakotas it was a lakota karuk so it, it came after a vision quest i think it was a funny vision quest in the sense that i knew that i'd get my vision and i knew that they wouldn't check on me that day and i was right bigfoot took my gloves which i didn't understand i have really tiny hands And so I'm like, I mean, do you have really big feet, small hands? I don't understand why you stole my gloves. But I had many multiple visions. Uh, and we were doing vision quests up in Mount Shasta. And that in itself was, you know, I went through a hailstorm, through rain, 
through, you know, thunderstorms, you know, and I'm up at high elevation, think, thankfully looking at Mount Shasta and snow. And my um, beautiful makeshift of a tent that I created at one point from a very, you know, glam style became like literally just something that I can like exist in. And I was just like, like in a cocoon. And I came off that mountain and I came off that mountain with visions and with a name. And I approached the elder and the elder checked in and said, yeah, that's, that's, that's what was given to you. And in a very unceremonious way was just, you know, announced this is the name of this person now, and this is what we're calling them. And this is what they have earned. They have earned the name. And it was a name that for a long time, I felt uncomfortable with, you know, it's just over the last couple of years that I've gone public with this name because it is, you know, a name of earning. And what did I earn? I earned vision. And what were those visions? Those visions called for a deep remembrance. They called for me to leave behind standing in between worlds. They called for deep ownership and commitment to who I am. They did not promise glory. They did not promise anything other than a path of deep remembrance. Mm. And so we live in a society that wants glory and certifications and they want to see who you are on a paper in a way. They want a justification in a way that they understand. And the ways that I have been taught and I'm being continued to ask to learn means that anytime that I am chosen by an elder, even they know I'm a wisdom carrier in my own right, I have to leave everything. I have to drop everything and I have to start again with nothing. And so I'm continuously, it's it's a path of not like, oh, now I know this, right? It's literally, a, <laughs> remember everything, now forget it. Remember everything and now forget it. Remember everything and now forget it and get to that point where it's not just a thing that you remember, but a weaving at the at your bone level. And so it's taught me um, a humility and the humility in the native way that you are no greater or lesser than any being. And it's taught me about how, even though we try to connect, there are cultural differences. And unless we recognize those cultural differences and recognize what is at stake for people to teach us, then we're asking something of them that is I kind of want to use the word ridiculous in the sense that we're asking people who have been persecuted all their lives to reveal the things that they were persecuted for, the way of life that for eons has been tried to kill. And so I think many times we don't recognize what we're asking for. Mm. We want the teachings, but we don't want to carry the trauma involved in the teachings. We don't want to look at ourselves as responsible for part of it, for we all contribute to global energies of trauma. And so my path, each time I'm asked to remember or to find something else or to learn means I also have to take responsibility. 
deep responsibility for ways that I have contributed to genocide, ways that I have contributed to human negativity. And of course, have I actively killed anyone? No, but we have to be responsible. We have to get to that point where we are, we know what we are capable of in a situation. And that's a path that many people don't want to admit to. And they're remembering they're wanting something romantic. Mm. And they're wanting to remember a life when they were a queen or king or a goddess and everything was beautiful and they were eating peaches and things like that. And they don't want to remember that based on the philosophies that I've been taught, we are here to learn our lessons through each lifetime. So we have had to be the one murdered and the one who murdered. We've had to be the enslaved and the one who has enslaved. And many people don't want to sit to learn and to remember those things. They want to sit and think that memory and remembering is, is an escape or a way of, como se dice, um, optimizing their experience. I have to write a whole post about this. And it's really the path, the medicine path that many elders have been holding for a long time has one of complete acceptance. So for me, remembering is acceptance. So when I'm asked to step deeper and deeper, I have to accept all parts of myself and walk with them, not abandon them. Yeah, I think you're touching on something that I've reflected a lot and I think, you know, wrote in the past about the idea of the path, you know, has been very romanticized, right? Those reclaimings, those rememberings, walking with ancient teachings. And I think in many ways, very often, I think when we calling those things, we don't really know what we're calling. In fact, when we're taking a name that comes with a whole vibrations and ancestry and lineage behind it, because it's not a name out of nowhere, right? It's connected to streams of teachings and wisdom. There is a lot to come with. And, you know, I remember my process when I received my name and, you know, I changed my name legally now, but it took me many years to accept the name, many years to understand each part of my name. And still, you know, um, a year and a half ago, I was in Peru and additional teachings came with that name. And it was through the, the dear lineage and the Hopi people and which I've never met, which was interesting, right? It came to me the whole night through ceremonies, but there was this teaching in it that say, yeah, you took the name, but now you have to embody it. You have to walk. If you take that deer as a family name, you have to understand what it means to walk in that family, to be part of that family. And what are the responsibilities that come with it? And I think, you know, sometimes it's romanticized and, you know, I guess, you know, there's different ways to take names or to receive names, but it can be seen as romanticized things. But in fact, it can be quite heavy to carry. And also we open a door to, you know, part of the mystery, right? We don't always know fully. I mean, we don't know where that leads really. We just know, you know, what's happening in, in that moment. So also I like the, 
this bouncing back about remembering and forgetting, you know, in Andean cosmology, and I want to talk about your cosmology, but in Andean cosmology, the remembering of our medicine is deeply connected to the north and to the wind. That's where we, that's the root of the tree. That's the winter time here. That's, that's, you know, all our ancestry, but even the trees as ancestors, right? It's going way, way back all the way through all of that. And in fact, inner child is there, but all our medicine are there because all the parts of us can potentially be medicine if they are healed. Like you say, walking with everything. But then on the other side of the altar, on the south gate, is the forgetting. In fact, the last teaching in Andean cosmology is forgetting, which is death, which is the giving back of the body to the earth to return until we come back to the east door and to the sunrise and, and then... They say we cry as babies because we're forget we're forgotten everything and we have to relearn, right? That's what my elder told me. I love this forgetting, remembering, because in that cosmology, it's a bounce back north and south and wind and earth. So cosmos, we could say, and you know, sky and earth down, right? With always the final destination being somehow the forgetting and the letting go and the earth. So can you tell me, I want to start bringing that cosmology that you are connected to and how this concept of remembering and forgetting plays into that cosmology and how do we use that cosmology potentially, or I don't like the term using, but how do we understand that cosmology in that context and how can we walk our past and maybe for those of that are listening that are trying to remember and maybe trying to forget too. How do we walk that path with, with your tradition? Sorry, it's a long question, but. Uh... <laughs> no, thank you. I think it's a beautiful question, right? It's just a question that went around the medicine wheel, right? As we remember and forget. So it's not long. It's just a journey. We are the, in the place of bones and seeds, right? In the north, right? The place where we remember our potential. I think one of the important things when we are speaking of cosmology, what we forget, I'm getting emotional here, is that cosmology is a love language. The reason that we as humans or as gods or as people who remember have a language of stars is to connect back. What we forget specifically with the Mayan cosmology is we, people hang on to that. And what they forget that there's many Mayan calendars. And the, one of, I think, the most important things that we forget when we're studying, you know, the Mayan calendar is the solar calendar, which is agriculture. And the reason that people have a tendency of being, that doesn't matter. It's because they just want their destiny. They want their Nahuales. They want their life. They want all of that. And we forget that the reason that both work hand in hand is that to plant a seed, right, physically allows you to learn how to plant a seed energetically. The cosmology in the Mayan vision as well as many much cosmology of indigenous people, we are not separate from nature. And what has happened,
happen in the interpretation is a very human-centric interpretation of the cosmos. Where do I come from? Why did I forget? Where am I going? And let's figure this out because I I don't got time, right? (laughs) And instead, what the Mayan cosmology is asking you is be a seed. Be planted in ground. Receive water. Know that it is life. Grow in heat. Allow yourself to be harvested, the different parts of you, and then return back to remembering. We forget our nature and the nature of a rhythm of remembering. And so what I have seen is that people take the bits that they want, the optimized bits, and then what they miss is the growth and the depth of possibility. And so instead of remembering what I see, what happens is that people continue to look, they're trying to prove their reflection. They're trying to prove this is who I am or I should be. And they find any means to have that cosmology, that nawale, that whatever it is, whether it's Vedic astrology, whether it's Western, say, oh, yes, this is who I am. It's almost like they have a thesis statement that they're trying to prove, and they're trying to prove it based on worth. I am worthy. And the huge difference between Western culture and indigenous cultures is that we have no bridge to worth. We do not have to earn it. In Indian native ways, our value is because we are born. We are born a creature on this earth and this planet. We then have a choice to develop our gifts for ourselves, for self-reflection, and for the good of our community so they can remember as well. Mm. The Western way is... I must prove myself by what I do to have value of being who I am. So then I'm worth of a job, of money, of income, of family, of love, of all of these things. So, and and the difference is, again, in, in Western ways that have been taught, which are colonizer ways, right? Colonizers come into a place and they give you value. They redefine what is valuable. They take away the memory of worth because they say, we will tell you what is valuable. And we're going to tell you, you're not valuable because you're not like us. And everyone in the world has been colonized. We have to remember that. For indigenous people of the Americas, it's fresher in our minds than the people up in the British Isles, everything that happened in Macedonia like it's it's been going on it is a human condition and so part of remembering is remembering what are the programs of worth and value that you have because if you approach cosmology to find your worth mm. You're just trying to prove a point. You're not recognizing, and you, and it will never be enough. 
that's the thing of colonization. You will never be enough. And we construct modern day societies where you will never be enough. You will never have the best clothes, the best cars, all of that stuff. So, you know, and there's never enough time. You can never produce enough to have value. And so people in this race to know, to death, not to remembering, to death, get tired of it. And so they seek solace in other ways. But the fracturing that has happened in their psyche, in their mind, is so great that it takes many, 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 many little steps to create a bridge of remembrance. Many, many, many steps of approaching the all with nothing. And what I have found is that weaving is probably what I have found the best way so far. And weaving from multiple traditions. And when I say that, it's imagery. Weaving imagery that awakens the person who is in slumber. Having imagery that you live. So when I say a tree, right? Having such a deep relationship with that being or that forest, that that imagery is in you, that when you are talking, it is seen. It's not your voice or what you say. It's the imagery of your relationship. And tree is a universal image that we have used for a long time. Why? Because it shows us the upper world, the middle world, and the underworld, and gives to us an example of how to live this life. How can we be grounded? How can we deal with this? And how can we reach and be inspired by the heavens? And so in this process of remembering, we have to forget. We have to remember to forget. And so we have to face the conditions that we have put on ourselves. And we all know the story that we tell of ourselves is probably the most false story out there. And it is the most marginalized story. And it is the most uh, non-reflective story because we are afraid. I have people all around, specifically in the United States, always saying, but I'm a good person, Rita. I said, I'm not here to judge you. I have not said one thing. And their whole dialogue is then proving to me how they are a good person. And I've literally said nothing. And so then our whole conversation is them proving their value and their worth. What they're showing is just the deep wound of colonization, which does not allow you to remember. Because it has you so distracted, so distracted that you can't even think or breathe or settle or find stillness. And then it gives you the five quick ways of changing your habits or the five quick ways of being successful. And it needs to give you quick ways because it needs you to learn quickly. Because if you learn something quickly, it's not going to get in deep, right? There are grasses. We have about a dozen grasses here on the place where we live. 
And the grasses teach me so much. I go out every day with my problems. <laughs> We're not just problems with questions. And I see how different grasses grow. If you want to be quick growing gra grass, then you're not going to have very deep roots, but you can cover an area. Then we have our deep growing grasses, right? That are hundreds of meters deep and they take a long time. Well, when you're trying to keep have people keep up with you and put that new lawn and that little house, right? With the lawn and the perfect idea of what we've told you you should be, you need something quick growing. You don't have time for, for remembering. And so instead of remembering, what I see is people on a loop of ascertaining their value, proving their value, and their hunger just grows and grows and grows. And so we have an opportunity as, as we have conversations, right, every day, because we're all remembering, we're all forgetting, and we're all in different steps. I'm not perfect. Oh my God, no. I don't know everything. But I'm conscious and I try very hard. And I have a wife that reminds me all the time <laughs> of the things that stay in the way of me remembering. Mm -hmm. It takes courage to face yourself and face everything that is keeping you from being present. I think you just posted something today, Angel, about... The person in the past is angry. The person in the future is fearful, but the person at this present time experiences peace. In Western society, you have a timeline. You're talking about a timeline, right? You're pulling yourself. When you step into the circle of, of cosmology and indigenous teachings, that means you're going to go around and around and around. But if you've been taught that going around and around and around isn't the right way, you're going to go for that linear perception. And as we increase our speed, we have to have, as my friend who does urban planning, bigger billboards, things that are louder, that scream louder to you who you are and quicker ways of getting to that. There's so there are so many themes here. Thank you. Probably you know I have uh, three hours of talks to go through my questions, but I want to address this idea of the slowing down and getting into our bodies, which is really getting into the earth, right? And that disconnection we have from the earth is just because we just can't connect to our bodies that have been traumatized, that are stressed, that have anxiety. There is this war for our attention out there right through social media and through tv and through the loud world right and yet the pro that process as you explained so well right really requires to come back to the present to observe to look at the grass right and what's you know what i find really interesting is when i share on and cosmology to people and some teachings, whose teachings are very simple in many ways. It's not like they are, you know, complicated to understand for the mind, right? But some of those teachings can take 20 years to be embodied. 
this bike, I can share them in literally one phrase. And mm -hmm. I think, uh, like you say, people won't have time and we want quick, 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 quick. And we want loud. You know, I, I personally believe that this, you know, very trendy use of, you know, psychoactive plants and antiogenes because they are the loud plants, right? So they're going to scream at you and, you know, there's a place for it. Sometimes we need to be a little bit bust around <laughs> and awaken, but we have much more trouble to sit with a silent plant or a plant maybe that whisper because our body have numbed so much that sensations because the world is overwhelming that we can only feel or hear when it's really extreme, when it's really intense. And I think one of the pitfalls, as you were mentioning, I mean, the possibility that we enter this path or spirituality and this process of remembering and bring with us this rift, bring with us those traumas, which we have no choice, right? But then we want so much to escape that state, right? That dread, that lack of really clarity and purpose that we might fall into a pitfall of just quick fix or like going to university, just learning through that way that I'm just learning the teaching and that, and then I feel better about myself because that gives me value to use your word, right? But really, I'm missing a big part of it. So I want to ask you a question and I want to share uh, one of the elders I work, I work in Peru is, is one of the keeper of the Machu Picchu, the spiritual keeper. So it's not someone that works on the side, but he goes there just to maintain those portals open. And I've known him for mm -hmm. 15 years. He's a beautiful man. But, you know, I always tell my students, you know, if you would meet him, he's a farmer. He grows corn like his ancestors. He has beehives and he makes plant essence. And that's pretty much what he does. And, you know, every two weeks or he goes to the Machu Picchu and he gets his teachings and he come back and then he implements the teaching. And I was asking him about, you know, how to connect more tonically to, and then to that cosmology. And he pick up, and that's why I, I just I just always have it next to me, pick up that beautiful corn. They have, you know, thousands of yeah. species of corn in Peru. And he pluck, pluck one seed and he say, go plant that seed. And he said, yeah. you know, so many people pray for the earth and do those beautiful offerings. But he says, that has no value, that has no meaning if you don't grow a seed. Mm -hmm. It is useless to us. You need to grow the seed. You need to understand that. So, and I really remember reminding me of what you were sharing about that seed, right? And that seed needs time, needs space, needs daily care. And, you know, some seeds take a very long time to come out, right? And you can scream at it, but it won't change the speed. It probably will slow it down, in fact. <laughs> so... How do we do this in the world we are in today with ecological collapse, social, you know, separation, a lot of things is going on in the system, a lot of pressure to kind of accelerate, to find change and to make things happen and to find fixed solution. How do we implement that remembering and that slowing down and that deep listening and just a noisy context 
and in the context of traumatized bodies. And I know, you know, I'm not expecting maybe a solution here, but what is your kind of feeling around that? Because it sounds like very much a conundrum, at least it is for me many times, right? I think we have to grieve. Hmm. We have to grieve. We live in societies that don't know how to grieve. And if we look at grieving as a process of planting seeds and remembering, maybe we will have the magical audacity to receive what grief can give us. And what do we have to grieve? We have to grieve what we thought was going to happen. We have to grieve what's happening right now in the planet. We have to understand that there's a great practice of grieving and witnessing That means you're not here all the time, sometimes to save something, but to witness its passage, its life. And so if we can start allowing ourselves to grieve and not going into the overwhelm that we have to fix everything, that we have to be the solution, but sometimes we're just there to be the witness of what is happening And the reality is we're born in this time for a reason because we do have the capacity to remember how to grieve because we do have the capacity to witness the end of an age. But so many people are stuck building lifeboats or the next thing or trying to escape that they're not witnessing. And if you don't witness You will never see how that seed grew. You will never hear how it grew and how it is doing with becoming extinct. The planet will exist beyond humanity. Salmon will exist beyond humanity. Trust me, we have some really interesting conversations. There are consciousnesses that will exist beyond that we keep trying to save. We're not trying to save them. We're trying to save humanity and our way. And until we face that, until we face the possibility, then we are just trying to solve a problem without asking the question. And so if we can move into asking questions and not having solutions, what we will see is that the knowledge is all around us. Go to the ferns, go to the mosses. How many extinctions have they survived of beings, right? Go to all the different birds, go to those uh, beings that are being reborn. We thought they were extinct. And you go and you ask and say, I don't even speak your language. I don't know what you're saying. So I just need to be here and witness. There was a recent magazine, uh, Time magazine that's called Zip It. And it's finally saying, maybe the American culture speaks too much. But many times we don't ask questions. I have a day job and it's very different from this. And um, it's funny because I have so many people who don't listen who their mode of being is to ask a question, but it's not a question, it's a solution. They're posing a question to give you the solution to something, to let you know that they, to follow them, you know? And I think one of the things we can learn is how to listen, how to be the question, how to not know, 
how to not have an answer, how to find new ways of deep relationship, how to approach Mother Earth asking for a root based on what you have earned, not imposing our ideas, our consciousness, our culture as the way. In other words, being uncomfortable with the idea that you might not be the solution that we need or that society thinks we need. And I think that's frightening for people. Mm. But I think it's a powerful thing to be able to face. And the Mayan calendar and everything on this planet is here to support us on that path. Even the Nahuales change energy and shape, and they're not acting alone. They're always acting in relationship to other Nahuales, other tones. Nothing ever functions alone. But the Western society creates the Christs that they crucify. They create the one ways and the one solutions. But this is the path of many ways of everything coming together to witness each other. And then the other thing, Angel, is to receive. Mm. If we can learn to receive, that means we have to give up control, that we have the right answer, right? To have that pause before rushing in and saying, oh, I know, I know what you need. And say, you know what? I don't know. What do you think you need? And then you co-create. So if we grieve, we can allow ourselves the opportunity to witness, to stay curious, courageous, and playful, as I tell my students, to get to that point of co-creation. And know that we are not alone. We have never been alone. We will never be alone. So that means we're going to have to ask for help from things that we have devalued. Yeah, it's interesting because I was, there's this beautiful podcast, the Emerald podcast that you probably know and other people have listened to maybe that was published recently, but it was a theme that I've been thinking a lot about is this idea of personal development of individual healing, of personal transformation, a concept that is very, very foreign to native cultures because it's always collective. There's no healing ceremonies where pretty much everybody's there from the grandmas to the babies and the healthy one and the sick one. And and so we were always in this tradition healing as a collective, which means there's indeed a capacity of listening you need to because there is more people in the circle than just you. And when I say, you know, collective, I mean also the non-human kind, right? Where we're inviting all the realities, we're inviting the trees and the lands and the animals. And I feel like a lot of things that has been broken in this healing process and that is, you know, very prevalent, in fact, in, in the healing modern space is that we brought this sense of 
I don't want to say entitlement because I guess when we're sick, we really want to heal, but we disconnected our illnesses from the collective illnesses. We disconnected our healing from the collective healing. And any traditional healers will know that you can really heal yourself if the sickness is in your family system. The whole family needs to be there. You can't really heal your body if you don't bring the waters and the lands and the food and the people that take care of that into that space, because that's what nourish your body ultimately. So I want to ask you a little bit about your thoughts about that, because I feel, you know, either returning to cosmologies and to old traditions uh, for some kind of personal feel good transformation feeling that maybe if we do that, then we can be better or of service better. But I feel because we came into it from a place that is fundamentally broken, that is carrying with it the wounds of the capitalistic system and colonialism, that really the healing that comes out of that is not going to be that collective, is not going to maybe bear the fruits that we expected until we understand that, in fact, I cannot heal alone. We cannot heal, you know, if we don't come together. Something that trees and forests and grasses and birds and, you know, all of nature has understood, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we remember that? How do we really approach this healing that can be very complex because very few people maybe wants to go into those ways and many people want to stay in the old system. How do we do it without creating separation here with building those bridges that we talked about earlier? Two things come to mind. First, sovereignty. We mistake individuality as a definition of sovereignty. And so we have to really look at our words and understand that sovereignty in indigenous ways and practices, again, is not earned, that everything is sovereign, everything that is created, everything that is created has that same life force energy. And you and I have talked about this a lot. So knowing that if I'm going to heal, and I warn people who come, I have a lot of warning labels all over my work. I, I have to, I do. I sell people, like big warning label. And the warning labels, if you step into these circles, your life will change. Well, Maria, that sounds amazing. I'm, yeah, but it might not be easy. And it will affect your life. Not your individuality of who you are just in your life. It will affect your family and your community. And I see that. And I see people here heal generations and generations but that means that they get into an argument with their mother who they've been avoiding who all of a sudden pops up and they are able to stay in their sovereignty, accept the sovereignty of that person and stay neutral. But it doesn't mean there's no confrontation, right? So sovereignty, being able to understand neutrality. So that means also when I speak of neutrality, right, it doesn't mean I'm turning the other cheek. It means that I am working as much as I can, recognizing what I have and my lack of and working with both of them to have a conscious coming together of my body, my mind, and my essence. And I start there. That's why I teach the three breaths. 
How am I going to work collectively if I don't even know how to work with myself and work with the parts that throughout society have been divided? So first of all, learning the universe inside of you, right? And knowing that you as an individual is a multitude, you are a multiverse. And many times one part of your universe is not getting along with the other. It's literally like you'd have to travel from, you know, the, you know, the, the as they say, the, como se dice, the journey from the head to the heart that usually goes through the gut is millions and millions of miles, right? It'd be easier for me to get on a plane and travel probably to Saturn than sometimes to get from my head to my heart. And so we forget that. The other thing that comes to mind that I, the, one of the ways that we forget that healing occurs or to remember is by having, is not just witnessing others, but ourselves be witnessed. And that witnessing can take on many forms. I am now the official student of an elder. Very honored to be in the Moonwalker tradition. And thank you to the Moonwalkers for being here, as well in other traditions. You might say, oh, Marita, you have a good new title. Wow, that's amazing. That means, though, I am open and I am allowing myself not just to be witnessed in the good of my life, but in my challenges. That means the whole community can come up to me and say, I didn't like how you did that. I don't agree with that. Mm. I don't do that. In other words, the path, right, that is presented for people with deep medicine walks or part of that path is for your community to reflect back, to challenge you, to make you see your shadow, not to avoid it, but to learn. And so we want the solution that brings ease or that is easy and that involves less people. Because it gets complex. And so I think it's complex to live and to learn and to walk the indigenous paths of our families. Because se meten todos, as they say, everyone has an opinion from the trees to the birds, the tree, you know, the worms, the people, everyone's going to have an opinion. But it's they have an opinion because they recognize their sovereignty and your sovereignty, and they understand that we grow together. I hope that answered a little bit of your question. No, it does. I I just feel you know in the world that is so polarized today, where people get triggered so easily, and usually it's either fight right and hurt back or run away. If it's not completely falling right, completely not feeling anything. There is also the difficulty to really stay in the presence of that, right? In bodies that are maybe not comfortable with that or think that it might be dangerous because that's the experience of the world. And also the idea of commitment, you know, once you enter that, and I'm sure you've done that with your elders, right? When we commit to an elders and to our lineage, we don't just turn our back when we don't like it. Or when we have something that triggers us, we commit into those paths that are quite devotional in many ways to those ways as students for our lives. And I think in the world today, it's really difficult 
to do that for many because of the learning we have and that we haven't let go yet, that we haven't forgotten yet. And we want the quick. And like you say, I think very often we want just the feel good. In fact, I think it's very present in the spiritual community, right? If it doesn't feel good, it's not my tribe, right? <laughs> if it doesn't feel good, it's not my people. Yeah. And it is so, so opposite of what I've witnessed in traditional communities where you just don't run away. You know, one time uh, I asked a Lakota elder that I've worked for a while with, what's the secret of their ways? I said, if you, if you could resume in one teaching, it was a tricky question. It was the Lakota way. And he say, you know, it's very easy. Say, you have to be a good relative. Just mm-hmm. be a good relative. Mm-hmm. And then he added, he said, but you know, it's hard to be a good relative. <laughs> and I thought it was such a beautiful teaching. And he invited me and we did that retreat there in South Dakota on the Pan Ridge Reservation, which was about bearing witness to the native people there, where for one week we could listen to the teachings and they were sharing the cosmology and many things, but we were not allowed to ask questions or to say mm-hmm. anything. Yep. And witness this Western mind. I could see my mind that just had question and wanted to understand, but really be in a place where not only we don't interrupt, right? But even at the end of a speech, of a speech, we stay with the silence, and there is no question, you know. And mm-hmm. and cultivating that deep listening, potentially the trigger, and staying in that place of connection and belonging. I don't think we have space like that in the Western world. <laughs> I don't think we can even, you know, have space of deep listening. You know, one of the my favorite book from a Lakota elder is about deep listening. And the title of the book is Stop Talking, which I, I love that book. Yep. <laughs> but how do we relearn that? Because I feel we come in with all those questions and we want to really talk and ask where, inf- and we're probably not going to get any answer anyway. We're just going to get bigger questions. So how do we receive that? You know, how do we allow that space of deep listening that I believe foster connection at the end of the day? You know, I think something that comes to mind since you started part of this conversation about talking about the medicine wheel and the medicine of the North and the South, the traditions I come from recognize the medicine of the South as the place of the student. Mm. So having a consciousness that you are a forever student, that you are open to observing and to learning and not having, again, a solution or an answer because solutions are limited right everything that we create is limited it is from the uncreation the void that we have complete potential so we might have a solution one day and the next day it has no value it doesn't work anymore and i think that can be frustrating right if you are trying to just have something be done another thing that comes to mind is what I tell my students, many times they'll ask me questions, right? So let's say with cacao, you know, I work a lot with cacao. I've been a keeper of cacao for a long time in my lineages. And I'll ask them, well, what, what does cacao say? I don't ask them what do they think, what do I think? 
ask them, what does cacao say? And based on your relationship with cacao, you will have a conversation. And that relationship will grow over time if you start to understand how cacao grows, not just the mythology, but grows. Why? What is the period of rain that it needs? What's the depth that it needs? Why, why is a cacao coming from a tree so significant versus having a conversation, right? If it had grown in a different way. You know, when people do come out to the farm, as some of you are on here, you know, I'll say, go, go weed, <laughs> go weed and ask your question to the weeds because our minds are like weeds. And we have to understand that. I mean, I live in Hawaii, everything grows. So the minute that you pull that weed, another one will come up. Everything is fighting to live, including your thoughts, your programming. So you just have to be conscious of that, right? There's nothing wrong about that, right? There's nothing wrong about the way that humans have been created. We have to accept our limitations and become friends with them, not to supersede, but to learn from them. Wow. One of the limitations of my mind is that it likes to worry. Oh, it's in a habit. Well, that habit, why did I have that habit? Well, that habit has actually been really helpful for me because it has gotten me out of situations and saved my life. How does that habit now affect me now that I have changed? Well, no, it's no longer serving me in that way. So it's not getting rid of the habit of worrying, saying, wow, the equation that I have in the mind and in the, in the, my mind, right, and the way that it's affecting my body no longer works. So I have to tweak the equation, right? Because we always want that solution at the end. So we just have to be conscious of that. And conscious that as we add integers into our, you know, solution, into our equation, that means those integers can be other completely different ways of being in the world. Wow. My father, super intelligent man, mathematician, physicist, you know, was on the front lines of computers before, you know, when computers were like the size of like buildings, you know, and he and I chocamos sometimes he'd be like marita you're so intelligent i don't understand why you're not having you're not you know you're having trouble in physics right now but then he saw my paintings i'm a painter and he goes oh my gosh you understand it you just understand it in a different way wow. we have to be open to not being understood we have to be open that maybe our way and the way that we have of being in this world might not be understood. And it's not to fix it. It's to learn our way. And in that way, it's not a singular, you are not a singular person because you are being influenced all the time by all the beings on this planet. To grow a seed, to grow corn, right? There's nothing, you know, you can never speak about Mesoamerican culture or cosmology without corn, cacao, and calendars. They're interwoven. They all provide a count. Cacao, right, just like corn, is shaped in the inside in many ways, like by kernels. 
It teaches you of community. It teaches you how to grow in community and that your value and worth or how you will attain your goal or knowledge of who you are is is part of the whole. And that part of the whole is not just individual human beings. Mm. So I think if we can, again, and I do have to say something, I'm not trying to be doomsday here. I will tell you, in, there, in indigenous traditions, many times when you come to a teacher, they will deny you three, four, five, six, seven years until you are ready. And so that is something about our ways that we will tell people, this is not easy. This is not hard. You don't want to do this to make sure that when you say, no, no, I, I do want this, that you are choosing your change. You're not choosing that quick solution, but you are choosing. And so I always tell people the path of meeting your teacher is as important as studying with them. And so I think that's another important thing to add to this conversation and circle is these teachings have to be earned, right? I get criticized by some elders. They're like, Marita, you're giving too much. You're giving it away too easily. You need to make them earn it more in different ways. Because if you don't quote unquote earn it, they won't embody it. So we have long discussions about what that means in a modern way and in a modern life, right? And we have countless discussions, including the cost of things, right? So I think it's just understanding that we have an opportunity to recognize our multiverse, recognize that we might not even have the passport to parts of ourselves. And if we can start with that unknowing, then we can have the capacity and the courage to start remembering. Because the reason we say we remember is because we're all amnesiacs, right? But we grasp so much to value that we're afraid to be undone. But because we're afraid to be undone, it will be the undoing of humanity. Yeah. I really feel that and hear your words. And yeah, it's interesting what you say about people that wants to learn and what the teacher will say and make them wait for so many years. And sometimes I feel like I sound a little bit like doomsday when I new clients want to study with me and I only take very few on one-on-one -on -one for that, for that reason that you exactly explain in the same way as I learned. So we talked about the, the seeds, the cacao on this path of remembering. I want to talk about the calendars more. Yep. And, you know, obviously it's a very complex system and there is many of them, but I don't expect in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes we have together to go through all of it. But can you first give me a, or give us a general context of these calendars and mm -hmm. maybe share about one of them? And now there are potential tools or... GPS, I guess, for the soul in this process of forgetting and remembering. Yeah. So part of the story, as I said, is we forget that these calendars are love stories and they're not just the stories of humans seeking, but the stories of, as we could say, energies or gods. 
In one of the stories, Quetzalcoatl is said to have given, who is a creator being, right, in the Maya, Aztec, uh, Zapotec tradition, also known as Kulkan, as one of the creator beings who brought cacao, who created humans with other beings with out of corn, and gave them the calendar. And you can see this in the Popovu. As a way to orient them, right? The agriculture one to feed them. And then the the other one, some people call it the spiritual one or the one of humans to orient them to their potential destiny. And their destiny was to remember. So in the one that we have out there, the Cholquín and the Quiche tradition um, is one of Nahuales of 20 days, 13 tones. At all times, you will have a Tresena of 13, 13 days is your week. So you're always having three energies working together. And that calendar fits into the solar calendar. And they're all working together like cogs on a wheel. A lot of while the agricultural solar candle uh, follows a lot the the journey of corn, the spiritual one or the human one follows the journey of a human. So it is based on the gestation period of humans. It is based on their 13 of their bone structure. It is based on their articulation. So it's literally using the human body Uh, to be able to tell and why well it makes it easier right one two three four five six seven eight nine ten you know and then you go on you use your body to embody the teaching so that if you forget something you can just check in (laughs) what's this teaching (laughs) what's what's this 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 is part of what (laughs) so literally using the human body as well as the beings in nature, right, to help us articulate the conversation of what it means to be human in relationship to how other things grow so that we can grow. So you, one of the things that I find very distinct and different is the level of consciousness. So in what I've seen in Western astrology, and I've spoken to people from around the world is Kind of this idea that you are born under a house, right? In your house, and there's rules in your house and different planets in your house and things like that. I'm simplifying it. And then your destiny is kind of put forth in that way. In indigenous teachings, the idea of creation, creator being is so linked, right? That in your consciousness, as you came into this world, you negotiated the energies and the guides you would need to be able to complete your life. And those are Nahuales. You negotiated your Tresena, your major archetype, I guess you could say. You negotiated the day and you negotiated the Nahual of that day of your birthday. You negotiated these energies to work with you to reach your potential. 
So that is a very different way of kind of looking at a calendar because this calendar believes in co-creation versus other calendars that have been given to you. You know, they've been kept alive, but there is an essence and a seed of co-creation and that love affair, right? The opening of the divine heart of these energias reflecting back upon themselves in their creation in the multitude of forms, be it human, mineral, or plant, that are asking the question. So how can you use this every day? You can use it with honesty. <laughs> you can use it to learn your potential, whether you judge it as good or bad. You can start understanding the mythology of your creation. You can start remembering and start creating your story of what will you do now on your hero's journey? And so you work and instead of just acknowledging, you know, I have a lot of people who are like, okay, today's this day and this is what's going to happen. And so now I plan my day. I've done my meditation and go on. What I teach my students is, okay, what is the Nawal today? Have you asked for help? Are you co-creating with this Nawal and this tone? Or is it just something that you checked out of the box? So the way I look at it is like, you know, when you go to your job, you have your coworkers, the same thing. The calendars is your team. It's your coworkers who are, it's your community who is working through time, space, continuum to bring down, to slow down to a human level, that energy and that seed of potential, which is creation, which is the reflection my consciousness is a reflection of this question. Your consciousness is a reflection of this question. When we all work together, we're asking the question in so many ways and getting so many answers, and we co-create. Mm. So the mind calendar allows us the consciousness of co-creation at an, a very everyday experience of life, which also includes hey, it's going to be really, you know, this is the time of big wins. Don't plan anything. <laughs> this is the time of big storms. Did you plant something, right? This is a good day to do this. This is a good day to do that. And so it gives you that structure and possibility of a structure to articulate your life in conscious co-creation. It's um, interesting, you know, what's coming to me is that we, as a civilization today, you know, we're very much lost in time and space, right? The gods of science without moral and, you know, politics and economy or capitalistic system, you know, are our gods. And I'm thinking of our calendar, the Gregorian calendar that we're using that is not based very much on the cycle of nature's that is not really based on the cycle of the moon of the sun that has all those little gimmick in it so you know we have a year every four years with one more day and then we move the clocks and because obviously it doesn't fit nature but i'm thinking and i want kind of 
your opinion on that, but like basically we're so influenced by our calendars, right? They are kind of our prophecies. They're telling us this is what's going to happen. That by imposing ourselves with that system of calendar that's disconnected from nature, from our cycles, from our moons, from, you know, the earth, that indeed we cannot align ourselves with those greater cycles when we use tools that are disconnected from spirit, from the sacred, from nature, from the earth, from the moon, from all of that, that basically we can't really function within this and we're trying to, but it doesn't really match reality. You know, I mean, the sun and the moon shift a little bit every day, but guess what? I'm, I'm alarm clock at 8 a.m. because I need to be at my job at 9, at 9 a.m., right? And that's all year long. It doesn't matter if the sun rises at 4 a.m. in the summer or rises at 9 a.m. in the winter. And we put massive pressure on our bodies, right? And our psyche because of that and our spirits because we're so disconnected. So do you see that influence of this modern <laughs> calendar? This seems pretty archaic yeah. to me uh, on, on our, yeah, on our prophecy, on our own destiny and fate and, and remembering. Yeah. I mean, in so many ways, number one, we have to <clears throat> come to terms with the fact that modernity has no value to human life. We have to embrace that. You are only valuable if you produce your you becoming the best you is not in favor of modernity. Your individuation, not individuality, individuation, you as a being to be your complete whole self will not and cannot feed the machine of modernity and colonization. So immediately you have to be like, why am I being a crazy person? trying to get these things out of something that cannot hold my complete being. Even the, um, I teach a lot of blueprints and even the blueprint of a modern day calendar, as you see when you buy calendars, is the blueprint of a square. Now squares are great. You can build quick things quickly. Look at all the row houses, right? Circular things, harder to build. And so then we get, we get into that, you know, and then in that calendar, then you have little squares that you check off when you did something. And so we're taught that worth, value, and sense is how much can you build into your little square every day versus the audacity, the audacity of living in relationship to your creatureness, the audacity of thinking that a blade of grass might have more knowledge than you, the audacity that there is a natural rhythm to things that you can't push against. Sometimes we have to understand that the systems, relationships, that we are in have their limited capacities. Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to get, you know, get angry and burn it all down, you know, it will decay in its own time. That we have to mourn and grieve that it cannot hold us. 
We have to understand the capacity of our friends, our lovers, our children. What is truly their capacity? And are you asking for something that they are incapable of giving you because you have to give it to yourself in your individuation, not your individuality, because they're reflecting back a part of the whole. And the same thing, right? I have a day job, which I'm very grateful for, provides, you know, roof and everything. But there is a limitation to it. And I have let go. I'm not being wrecked. I've had to let go of a lot, a lot of things because what am I doing, right? Doing the same thing and except expecting a different result. That's not going to happen. The, the, they don't grow deep roots. They grow fast. They build quickly. Well, okay, that is a field of quick uh, building grass. But I walk the path of deep roots. It cannot sustain me, but it's still giving me something that I need. I need to eat. I need to have stability in my life so that I can take the time to grow the roots. Mm. And so I think it's just (laughs) recognizing the potential of things, what they can hold and not hold. You don't have to burn the system down. You just have to realize what game you're playing. And then I, I got, yes, play the game, be a trickster. Okay. That's what you have the potential. That's what you can hold. Thank you so much. Have deep gratitude. Thank you so much that you can give me this. Thank you so much that you can give me this. And in the whole, then we have all that we need for our lives, but we keep thinking that there's one way, one person, one teaching one magical thing that is going to give us everything that we want. I even tell my teacher, my teachers, I do tell my teachers, even my students, when they enter into an official student, I say, are you open that if I reach an end of something, a question that I have no answer to you, that I, that you will go find the answer with another teacher and bring it back to the community so we can all learn. And they say, yes, I know my limitations. I know I'm not the one thing. Therefore, when I have students, I know I'm also learning. And I think that's a very different way of living your life. And I think sometimes you have to get to the end of the madness, the end of the promises, grieve it, and then see how you can build by planting the seed of your potential. Mm. Beautiful. I'm just letting that sink in gently. It could go on and on. I have so many other subjects, but we're at the end of our time together and I want to respect the time of everyone here and your time, Marita. So I want to talk about your land within that time. We talked about it offline before we get got on this conversation together, but you know, we'll, we'll have other conversations, but I want to honor the land you are on and your teachers and the elders. And, you know, it's long list to mention everyone, but I know it's, uh, it's a collective that is present here and it's not just mm-hmm. you. And I want to, you know, acknowledge that and really feel a lot of gratitude for that. Immense gratitude for that. I mean, they feel the, the support back, you know, maybe being good, 
in good health and receive abundance and be in good ways always and so you can keep weaving those beautiful teachings i'm going to leave you the last words and to close the space and i for you whatever you want to share and i want to thank you everyone that is was here live with us so that will listen to the recording and thank you so much marita for for tonight yeah so much blessing so here's a closing space for you however long you want and on ever things you want to share you know one thing that i i want to leave us with is the humility of grace the humility to understand that you are no greater or lesser than any other being. And we are in times, yes, of great pressure, but pressure is good. With that, there is grace, love, mercy, and compassion. And we are in a time because I see them asking more and more questions and awakening. And I've had a long, long, very year long conversation where the energias of remembering are leading us back to the energias and the vibrancy of Quetzalcoatl, who is working and very present in the consciousness of people right now to awaken them on the path of the true rainbow warrior, which is the radical self-acceptance and love of you, of who you are as you individuate. So if we allow ourselves our potential, it means receiving help. It means receiving guidance. It means understanding that what amazing grace is there when we reach the end of ourselves, because then there's something else there that we can reach out to. I remember one day, <laughs> I was having a day, and I was like, oh, I've hit rock bottom. And the, the, my land said to me, the moon, I was talking to the moon. The moon's like, oh, finally, you get to talk to the mineral kingdom. Get out of your own way and start listening to what they have to offer you because they want to help you. You know, there's so much help out there. And there's so many energias and, and that are and people who are stepping out and showing themselves again at sometimes pain of death to try to get these teachings out there. So I hope that you have the courage to remember, to dream, and to witness, and know that there is help out there. And there are people who are walking this path, who are sharing this, who want to learn from you and witness you. So I hope that in the next couple of days, and even today, you can allow yourself your three breaths, your divinity, and know that anything that's been divided can be brought home. Shida. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sanctuary Podcast. We deeply value your support. Please consider sharing this podcast with others and joining our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. Once again, it is patreon.com slash the sanctuary and why. At the sanctuary, we believe that spirituality is a personal journey that takes many forms, and we honor and respect all paths to awakening and the rise of consciousness. Our mission is to provide a platform 
for open and honest conversations about spirituality and to inspire and empower our listeners to live their most authentic lives in good relation to each other's, the living, and invisible worlds. I look forward to connecting with you again here or at our events, retreats, and online gatherings. You can find all our offerings at thesanctuaryheal.com. Once again, it is thesanctuaryheal.com.